Now what happens is you're producing this whole two hour, one hour show, right? And immediately everyone's chopping it up into segments. So now I think as a producer and an actor, actress, whatever, performer, you have to think about like, how can I get this point across much faster? Hey there, this is Holly Shaw, your host, performance coach, and author of The Creative Formula, and you are listening to the Performers and Creators Lab podcast, empowering an army of artists across the globe and helping you to find your edge. Producers, they bring everyone together, they make things work, they watch the budget, and they create the environment for artists to flourish. Trying to explain what a producer does is a little bit tricky because it varies so much from the music industry to film production to TV to live events. It even varies from show to show, from film to film, and from project to project. And producers are so often those people that you don't get to talk to when you're the artist. They're the conduits creating the delivery system between your work and the world. And they often hold a lot of power, but you don't hardly ever get the chance to pick their brain. So that's why I'm excited that this week you do. I spoke with Sally Frattini of Sunset Lane Entertainment. She is an incredible producer, and she's joining us here on the show. Sally Fertini's career spans three decades of milestones and firsts. She was at MTV from 1988 to 2007, and she oversaw such shows as the MTV Video Music Awards. She was also the first female to ever executive produce an NFL Super Bowl halftime show. Back when they were really good. Oh, did I just say that? She produced the very first live stream music video awards for YouTube. And Sally Frattini has worked with all of the top names in the music industry that you can imagine. Beyonce, Justin Timberlake, Prince, Rihanna, Madonna, and so many more. Here we go. An inside look at the producer's mind with Sally Frittini. Ten years ago, you decided to, or over ten years ago, mm-hmm. you decided to embark um, on your own production company called Sunset Lane Entertainment. So why, why the choice to do your own thing? The truth That's is, true. 10 years ago, when I started, um, my the, the show that launched Sunset Lane was YouTube Live. And it was um, a, a gentleman I had worked with at Microsoft who had just taken this job in marketing at YouTube. YouTube was still a very young company. It was only like three years old. Mm-hmm. And he says, hey, I want to do like a video music awards, you know, for YouTube. Um, we have all this talent that is, you know, have all these crazy talents in different channels. And so we created something called YouTube Live. And it was, it was a two hour live stream with a variety of talent. Um, but most notably people like Katie Perry, when she just, you know, when she came out with I Kissed a Girl, that was a YouTube sensation. If you, if you remember yeah. that. And, um, you know, people like Will I Am that was really experimental in that space. And then we had like the Mythbusters and 
um, you know, Mr. Blend It and uh, Chocolate Rain, you know, uh, if you remember back and, you know, 10 years ago. So look at how yeah. far YouTube has come. Um, and that was really like one of the first live entertainment streams uh, that was, you know, produced. Yeah. So, and how did it go? What was the result of that? I think it went really well. <laughs> 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 Didn't you win a, an award for that or a couple? Of um, we did. We won a Webby for that, which was, yeah. was kind of cool. And um, yeah, I thought it was pretty groundbreaking and YouTube was really happy and um, the talent had a great time. We got some great press. I don't think we had as many concurrent views as everybody thought we might have, but, um, but that's not what it's all about uh, when you're in the digital space, right? It's all about on demand, what you're going to get after. Yeah. Um, and I think when you consider broadcast, you know, if, when you kind of have gone now from analog to digital and every tape format in between, you know, when you consider, you know, when I first started in this industry, we were on one inch tape and now everything is digital. Um, it's really the same elements, right? You still need the cameras, you still need great content, you still need amazing entertainment and lighting and a set and you know, you really need it all. You just, you're just putting it out there on a different platform. Um, so I felt like we took a lot of our broadcast skills and, and did bridge that gap into the new, you know, what was called new media at this, at that time. Right. And so you talk about needing all of the same sort of elements in a sense. Um, and yet when I think about, some of the artists and some of the things that are strangely popular, they aren't always, you know, bridging, they aren't always the high production that you might expect. So I'm curious if you've learned anything about, or if has there any been, been any surprising, surprising experiences in what is actually works and is popular? I mean, have you, do you feel like the artistic, the arc of production and the arc of like what's being put out there, how has that changed? Um, I, I think short form is, you know, the master of being able to tell a story now in a really short amount of time, yeah. um, cr creating a format for a show that, you know, is going to be chaptered up after the fact, um, you know, it used to be the MTV movie awards or the MTV video music awards, which is really the core of my background you know, we would produce the show and it would immediately re-air and then we'd shelf it for like, you know, five days and then it would repeat again. It was always long form. Um, and the MTV Movie Awards had like short films in it and a lot of comedic segments. So, um, you know, sometimes we would premiere with a longer episode, then we'd have to recut it to be like a two hour episode. And that was it. But now what happens is, you know, you're, 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 you're producing this whole two hour, one hour show, right? And immediately everyone's chopping it up into segments. So okay. now I think as a producer and an actor, actress, whatever, performer, you have to think about like, how can I get this point across much faster? It's you know? yeah. <laughs> like at the end of the day, this is going to be a two and a half minute segment. You know, how, how, without editing it, how can I get out like that really important, you know, two to three minutes, Yeah, um, which of course then is going to go viral and that's how you're getting your views, you know? So 
So I'm curious if you've seen any trends as a result of that. Like if storytelling has to tighten up, then what shortcuts do you think people are using? Well, I mean, equipment has come a long way. I think um, managing budgets to be, you know, more short form and faster turnarounds. Um, I think from a content perspective, obviously we're, we're appeasing an audience with a much shorter attention span and that's just fact. Um, and you know, I think, you know, when you consider things like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Insta stories and Facebook watch and, you know, we're now like creating content to go on all those platforms. And again, if, you know, if you're going to have that moment on a show, right, make it strong because that could be a boomerang segment that's seen by 5 million people on your Instagram versus like, oh, I was just in this two hour broadcast special that aired last night and nobody even knew what happened, you know? So right. it's a, you're, you're really programming now for multiple platforms more than ever. Um, wow. Which is part of, I think, the, the challenges of just being a you know good producing team. Yeah. Do you do you think that we lose? Is there a quality, or do you think we lose something in that? I mean, yes, I do. Sometimes, you know, I I think um, I think sometimes, you know, for instance, if you're a comedian, and you know, I remember a time, you know, Jim Carrey got up at the MTV Movie Awards and just gave this like 17 minute acceptance speech. But it was this Jim Carrey monologue, you know, and it yeah. was hysterical and everybody's laughing and you're, you're like, wow, this is great content. Like we should play this whole thing. Yeah. But you know, in the edit room, you're like, oh crap, like how am I going to get that 17 minutes down to four? You know, and now it's like, how am I getting that to two or, or never even give them the 17 minutes because we just don't have time. Like it's, yeah. it's I think those are the things, the artist purity, um, you know, like a singer singing a song who comes in and says, it's five minutes. It's like, well, it used to be, well, you know, three minutes, three thirty was the sweet spot. Now it's like, can you do it under two? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I noticed that a lot. Um, my sister and I were really into So You Think You Can Dance for a while, that TV show. Yeah. And as a dance maker, as a, well, I'm not really making a lot right now, but I was doing a lot of choreography when we were super into it. And and it just really bummed me out that this, the, the pieces were like a minute, a two minutes, you know? Yeah. And they would do a lot with that time. I mean, it was pretty incredible. And yet, I felt like the piece never really took off, never really had a chance to develop. Yeah. You know, because yes, there is, I feel like, yes, there's an art to tightening things. Sometimes the art is in the edit, of course. And I do think there's an art to filling up a space and keeping it interesting and, and the, the, the movement and the flow that you can achieve the artistry of, of filling that space. It's, also an art. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if you can keep, you know, people's attention going, um, you know, for five minutes, especially in a live show, then, you know, that, that is an art, you know, whether you're telling a story, you're doing a performance, you're, you're a comedian, you know, trying to do stand up. Um, 
but you know, that's different training yeah. now than it was back then. I mean, I, I'm not an artist in training, but I have to imagine that, you know, people really specialize on, you know, well, how are you making a, how are you making something that it's going to go viral? You know, now it's all about like, how are you design? How are you presenting yourself? So this is going to go viral. You know, how are you going to get 4 million people to subscribe to your YouTube channel? I mean, let's face it, a lot of talent that have their own channels, it's very niche. You know, some people may love them. So your other times you're like, how does this person have their own channel? Right. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, like yeah. Logan Paul has what, 20 million subscribers on YouTube and I watch his content and it, it's not for me, you know, it's obviously not for the uh, 45 plus, you know, female. It's, you know, it's good for the jackass days and that, and that's a massive audience, but you know, he may not make it on television, but he doesn't need to, or, you know, and he's also in films. It's, it's very interesting. It's a whole different training now, I think. A lot more opportunities, I think. When we come back, Sally Frattini talks about capturing the elusive viral moment and being one of the first women executives at MTV. But now, right now, I want to make sure that you know about something super fun that we're doing here at the Performers and Creators Lab podcast. Hey, would you like to get coaching on this show? Have you ever listened to an episode and thought, man, I wish I could ask that person a question or get some advice? Well, this year, I'm inviting some of my most wise guests back onto the show to co-host some live labs with me. So when you volunteer, you get to share what you do on the show. You get to ask questions and get coaching from the guest and myself all for free. And bonus, it helps out other listeners with the same problems as you. Do you think you're a freak? With problems that no one else has, think again. If it, you have a question or concern, it's likely that others do too. So volunteer to participate on the show. You help everybody out. Visit performersandcreatorslab.com today to apply to be on the show. Performersandcreatorslab.com. If someone was to say, how do you design something that's going to go viral? Is that something that people ask you? I want this to go viral. Help me. Well, I mean, I, I think um, as a philosophy, especially when you do specials, award shows, honorary formats, um, live programming, which is kind of my specialty, you have to consistently think about what is the moment, right? And, um, you know, I, I think really coming prepared, knowing your research, understanding your content so that you can have like spontaneity, you know, when something happens that you don't expect, mm-hmm. um, but you're just naturally good at it. Cause you just like came right back at that with some incredible comment. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think as a performer, it's, it's really all about your voice and what song you sing. I mean, we all watch these singing formats now and you know I how many times you hear a judge go I was just waiting for you to hit that high note and you know at the end of the day it's that high note where the crowd cheers Mm. if you hit it that's the 10 seconds 
that's getting out there when someone says, oh my God, did you hear that voice? That was incredible. They may not hear the other minute and a half where you were like taking it, you know? So, um, you know, it's just, it's just like refining your art, I guess. Mm. Um, So the viral nature is in that, that thing that's spontaneous. Yeah. It's it's like, we know it when we see, like we feel it when we see it. Yeah. It's it's hard to reproduce. It's hard to just say, I'm going to do a viral Right. 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 I mean, I think, um, I think it also, you know, amazing photography, being an incredible DP, camera person, audio people, all the technical people you surround yourself when you do productions. I mean, they're so important because, you know, without them and, and capturing all this, then you've missed it too. You know, sometimes it's just that angle and how something was shot and you're just like, wow, um, did you see that? You know? Um, and I, I know, I think that's also something that's changed quite a bit. It's just technology is just really on our side right now. So, (laughs) so we're able to capture so much from so many different ways that if there is a moment, we're going to have it. Yeah, I mean, it's just so much more user-friendly and acceptable, you know, quality, um, the quality, the lower quality, the the look of a cell phone, the 16 by 9 or 4 by 3 format. I think it's just just acceptable now. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it looks as great on television, obviously, as a 4K with, you know, uh, color correction and matching your cameras, but... I just think people's trained eye are just, you know, loosening up quite a bit. Hmm. That's interesting. So we're evolving with the technology. We're getting more used to seeing in different varieties. So what do you think? Now you, you began at MTV. I'm curious. And the, and, and you were one of very few women executive producers. So I'm curious, what do you think? (laughs) Why do you think there aren't more women executive producers? And why do you think makes you good at navigating that? Well, I mean, this is obviously a common question, especially now. Um, And the the truth is, I think there's a lot of incredibly capable women, um, you know, but not all of them maybe have the same kind of opportunities that I did. You know, I was really fortunate that, um, you know, one of my role models was someone like Judy McGrath, who is the president of MTV, and people like Sarah Levinson, who um, some of the founding women, you know, people like Carol Robinson, who was up there in our communications division. And, um, and then even having like, people like Tom Preston, who is just incredibly liberal, incredibly diverse, you know, incredibly inclusive. So, in my particular case, I, I grew up in a very nurturing, you know, foundation and I was a go-getter, you know, and when, when something, you know, as the company grew for whatever reason, you know, if there was an opportunity, I was very aggressive about trying to get it and, and not in a bad way. Um, but you know, a little bit of a scrappy way, you know, I was a fighter. I grew up with five kids in my family. I'm from an Irish Italian <laughs> Catholic family. I have two older brothers, 
you know, I was child number four. Like if you wanted food at that dinner table, you fought for it. Um, <laughs> so I, I think I had that um, mentality, you know, just so when it, when it came to things like, hey, we are doing a sports show and we're going to be working with the NFL or Major League Baseball you know, I always love sports and I love music and I'd be like, yeah, that's a great idea. I'd like to work on that, you know, and, um, before you know it, you're kind of managing the relationships between the leagues, you know, and then whatever you do with one league rolls into doing it with another league. And, you know, there's a team of people obviously that kind of put all this together. Um, but I, I think I just was really lucky to have those kind of opportunities. So, you know, my advice for anybody is just get yourself in that position where whether we're inside of a company that, you know, you are ready to take on that work and and work extra hard because that's what I feel like I did all the time. So, wow. Yeah. Any advice that you would have? I mean, I know that your specialty is producing live events, which is like so bootstrapping and improv you know you have to be so ready to go on the fly and uh yeah ready for anything i imagine that that would be nail biting yes at such high stakes right um so i'm curious like what do you see since this you know a lot of our listeners are performers what do you see um in talent that works and then what do you see that doesn't work like what do you want in your the, the ta- on-air talent that's that's helping you with that um let's see what do I want what I what I would like to happen more often than not and this just depends on the level of talent you're dealing with is for the producer and the talent to have a one-to-one relationship early out mm. because very often people have their own ideas right I mean we're all artists and and I like to work in really collaborative environments. So if you're going to be Beyonce and you're going to perform on the Video Music Awards and you decide you want to go up in the rafters of Radio City and drop yourself down 100 feet onto the stage, like, let's open that dialogue up at the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> And and sounds like a like, problem you might have had. Yeah, well, <laughs> like and by the way, she's so professional that you know you do. But when you also consider the layers of people, right? It's like the record label, the manager, the agent, the creative director, and you know, sometimes I'm just like, can we just all break down the walls and like get get that artist on the phone and let's talk about it? You know, um, so I think what I would say is like, let your producer produce you and, Mm. and, and let them bring and your director, right. Let them bring out the qualities you have inside, but like bring your ideas to the table in the beginning. So collectively, if someone says, Hey, I want to fall on the ceiling, you're thinking to yourself, well, we don't actually even have a ceiling, but if you want to fall out of something, let's, figure out a way to rig that so we can create the moment. I mean, I just think nothing is impossible and um, it's really great to just be able to collaborate closely with your producer and your director, if that's possible. You know, sometimes it's not always possible. Yeah. Um, 
And one of the things that I liked about all the years working at MTV, I obviously had an opportunity to work with so many incredibly talented A-plus level individuals. And, um, you know, we had this massive um, music and artist relations department. And we also had the MTV studio in Times Square. So the studio just became this hub for talent all the time and the record labels and the promotions people. And it was such a great incubator for those meetings, you know, and, and it would be like, oh, it's three o'clock, you know, um, Prince is here today. Oh, we're going to talk to Prince about doing XYZ show. And, you know, the next thing you know, like four people are leaving their offices going downstairs and you're in the studio and you're having a conversation and, and they're just like real people. And that was really cool. Stay tuned to hear more about what it was like to work with Beyonce. Sally's going to share about that. But first, I wanted to do a few announcements. So first of all, I just want to thank all of you listeners. I want to thank you. We have um, the statistics back from 2018 showing where all you are listening from. And... Thank you, San Francisco. San Francisco, you guys are my biggest listeners. So I really appreciate what's up, Bay Area. I really appreciate, um, you know, all of you listening from San Francisco. San Jose is close behind San Francisco. So thank you, San Jose and the San Jose area. And then Oakland is third. So what's up with that, Oakland? I'm raising a child in you, Oakland. So... Those of you listening in Oakland, I appreciate your support and be sure to share the show with your friends, all right, so that we can have more of this Bay Area magic happening here. I'm loving it. All over California, I have listeners all over California, a lot in the um, Los Angeles area and surrounding areas, but also just all over California. So that's cool. I mean, that's not a big surprise. I'm kind of a, you know, California in my beliefs and thoughts and progressive ways. It's cool to know it's hitting a chord with striking a chord with some of you out there. Lots of listeners in Colorado, all over Colorado Springs, Castle Rocks, Denver, Sterling, all over Colorado, which is pretty cool. Um, England. I have a bunch of listeners all over England. I just have to say some of these because I've never heard of these places like Cock Fosters. Thank you for listeners and Cock Fosters for listening and Pizen Hall and East Coat and Manchester and Eastmore and sorry about the British accent. I can't help myself. Elmer's End. Lots of listeners there. So all over, all over. Too many places to list, but all over um, listeners. Illinois. What's up? I went to school in Illinois. I love Chicago. I did. I was an actor in Chicago. So I don't know if there's they're my friends or if they're just artists in an urban city. But thank you, Chicago and surrounding areas for listening. And uh, Indiana, of course, my hometown. Got some listeners there. So thank you for your support, my hometown peeps. Maryland, Baltimore, Massachusetts, Michigan. I mean, really every single state in the United States is listening to the Performers and Creators Lab podcast. New Jersey, huge listening in Newark, New Jersey. All right. I don't know what that's about. I appreciate these little pockets. I'm not sure what's going on. If you're in one of these pockets and... 
you are sharing it with your friends, reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. Um, Melmo, Sweden, Helsingborg. I don't know how to Helsingborg, Sweden, Richardson, Texas. I don't know what it is with Richardson, Texas, but you guys are big listeners there. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Dublin, Ireland, of course, is my biggest international audience. So thank you. I love you, Dublin. You guys are phenomenal. And China, China as well. Okay, so there's a one region. There's a lot of listeners. I'm going to try to say it. I don't know how it's going to come out because I'm not very good at pronouncing things. I need to get my son on the show to pronounce things in Spanish and Chinese. He is educated, speaks several languages. I am just a hick from Indiana. But I believe it's Langsi Heilongjiang. Heilongjiang. All right. That's the best I can do. Thank you for listening to my show. I really, I appreciate it so much. And while I have your ear, I also wanted to chat a little bit about Billy Proceda. He's doing a tour uh, all over in many, many cities. He was a guest. I don't know if you remember him. He was a guest in episode 20 of this show. Vulnerability is sexy. Uh, he has a podcast called the man whore podcast. It's a little edgy. So it's a little, he talks to people he's hooked up with about sex and dating and, um, He's an interesting dude, you know, like he's you you don't expect what comes out of his mouth and it's really refreshing. And um, I really appreciate what he you know, the way he sort of normalizes sexuality uh, and he's funny. He's a stand up comedian as well. He's doing a tour all over the United States in 20 cities. And what he's doing, I think this is worth noting. So this is why I'm mentioning it. It's just kind of a tip for those of you who want to tour, but are not able to do so. You feel like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to sell out these venues. You know, you're kind of in that place where you're, you're starting to gain traction, like an inter, a national traction, but you don't know if you can film venues. Listen to what he's doing. So he's doing discounted pre-sale tickets to 20 cities. And the catch is, is you don't know exactly when the show will be. Okay. You just know it's sometime this spring. And then when he sells 20 of these pre-sale tickets in a particular city, he books that venue, locks the date, and then he'll begin to sell the full price tickets. So it's kind of like you need to get 20 people to buy in that venue before it really activates that venue. And he's like, okay, I'll come to your city because now I have enough fans there to actually make it worth it. And then he sells more tickets from there. So I just thought, I thought that was like such a unique, cool idea. I hadn't heard of anybody doing that. I'm sure there's others doing things like that. But I just thought for those of you who are comedians or, um, you know, have a theater company or um, especially I can imagine this would work for bands or musicians as well. Just something to consider. That might be a cool way to book a tour pre-sale. If you love Billy Presida and you want to, um, you know, come visit him, I'm going to be going to the San Francisco show. What's up? I got two tickets. So, uh, you know, definitely check it out. See if he's coming to a city near you. You can look at brownpapertickets.com and just search, search, uh, man whore podcast, man whore podcast. Not as bad as it sounds. I don't know why I said that, but you know, like it sounds man horror. I mean, it's it's edgy. His stuff is edgy. I like it. I think he's interesting. I think he's worth um, worth watching. So check him out. And speaking of stand up comedy, 
You guys, I finally did it. I did it. I I tried stand-up last Friday. I've always wanted to do it. I've always said I should, you know, I should do it. I've always felt like that was something that I could see myself doing. And I finally just, you know, put five minutes together and went for it. I practiced a bunch and I just did it. And it is so fun. It was so satisfying, you know, and um, since then I've done it two other times this week because I just can't help myself. It's super addictive. It's like, oh my God, there's a place where I can just show up, sign up and perform that night. Um, yes, please. Thank you. And there's so many, uh, open mics here in the Bay area. So it's just been having a lot of fun with that. And I just feel like, you know, this is not me trying to have a stand up career. I really respect those of you that do it. I think, um, it's, it's really hard I'm finding and it's, but it's, it can be really satisfying. Um, And it takes, you know, it takes years of work to be really good at it. But for me as a performance coach, like I can't, you know, there's only so long I can go without performing and feel like I have, you know, that I'm connected to you guys and what you're going through and your struggles. And so this was one way to push myself. I figure I'm going to be a better podcaster because it. I'm going to be a better speaker, you know, just uh, having this experience under my belt, writing all the time, that kind of thing. And I just thought, I really love putting myself in the hot seat and having those experiences that are really hard and make my heart race and make me feel like I want to die because I did so bad. And I had one of those this week. And I did want to die for, for about a half an hour. I had a friend there to kind of talk him off the ledge, went home, woke up the next day. I was like, all right, where's the next one? Where? <laughs> Let's do it. So, you know, even though I teach this stuff and I coach people on how to, you know, not kick themselves in the ass and how to get back up after you bomb. Of course, I have to have these experiences so I remember what it's like and know what we're all going through. And I can tell you that my recovery time was really impressive. It's really improved, you know. So anyway, that's just, that's it. That's the end of the announcement. So let's get back to getting inside Sally Fratini's mind, inside the mind of a producer as we talk about what it's like, what producers want, and what it's like to work with Beyonce. Okay, here we go. Have you worked directly with Beyonce? We did. We worked with her a couple times on our um, on the VMAs and in TRL. And, um, you know, she's just incredible to work with. I haven't worked with her in the last 10 years or so, but... Yeah. Um, I'm such a fan. Yeah. What, what do you think makes her so incredible to work with? Because I'm sure that any performer listening wants to be incredible to work with, or at least I hope they do. You know, she is a perfectionist. Obviously, she has a lot of natural talent uh, as a dancer, as a singer. Um, I think her confidence level is so high. I, I also think she's incredibly respectful to her team, mm. you know, um, and she listens. And if you really want something and you're at that level, you know, sometimes you have to be willing to pay for it. And, and very often, you know, to get perfection, artists have to put their own money in, 
you know, because especially now I think budgets are getting tighter and tighter. And there's, there's not, it's not always like, yeah, come on our show. We have this unlimited budget, you know? Right. It's like, this is how much we have. Is the, is the label willing to pay? Is the management willing to pay? Is the artist willing to pay? And, and obviously things change over time, but, um, you know, sometimes you have to just be reasonable what you ask for, I think. Um, unless you're willing to pony up and help (laughs) pay for it. If we didn't have to worry about budgets, life would be so easy, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, that's nice play to a hear. Part in everything we do, you know, budgets play a huge part. So, yeah. Well, I like hearing that. Um, hang on a second. Just pause. My kid is texting me. Okay, cool. He's taking a test. All right. <laughs> um, texting you from class? Yeah. <laughs> so I love that. I just, I love hearing that Beyonce is actually really that confident and actually, you know, really good and respectful to her, her team. I mean, you see someone that is that famous and is that gifted and, you know, and, and yeah. just knowing that she is also an artist, like with integrity, like a, it's really cool. Makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And, you know, the other thing is like, um, and this is, I guess, maybe more of a, you know, maternal note for, you know, any listeners out there who may have their own children. But I think once you have kids, um, you know, life just gets in perspective. And um, I was one of the first people at MTV to actually have children. Uh, I was kind of part of the first wave of individuals that got maternity leave. As a matter of fact, I think I was probably one of the people that helped create what a maternity leave package looked like. <laughs> um, so when I, I think, and I'm not trying to age myself, but where I'm trying to go with this is like, you know, you work with Britney Spears when she's 14 years old and, you know, we put her outside and empty at the Times Square studio on like 44th and Broadway and she did that song, Whoops, I Did It Again, right? Her kind of big single, and she's 14, 15 years old. And then when, you know, eight years later, or whatever, seven years later, Britney has a kid. You're like, oh, my God, Britney's now a mother, you know? <laughs> and, um, and, and, you know, I, I, I mean, I just, I look back at a lot of the artists who really got their start young, you know, Justin Timberlake. Um, and then yeah. you see Justin grow up and became a father. And as much as like, he probably will have no idea and remember me ever. You know, I remember being a parent when these guys were like teenagers, you know, and yeah. like, you know, um, is that cool? Is that weird working with like, like I can imagine feeling sort of motherly and a little bit protective of say a 14 year old girl Totally. In a tiny mini skirt dancing, you know, like a grown, sexy woman. Totally. Um, at the time, I probably thought it was really cool and I wanted to be like her, you know, but I can't imagine as a mother. Did well, you ever, did, did you, you ever, talk, you know, but also it's like bringing it back to being a female executive producer. Yeah, I was always really conscious of like, what are they wearing? How short is their skirt? I mean, obviously for television, you have standards you have to deal with right but as a as a young parent I was just like let's be a little conscious of the camera shots people 
she's 14. You know, like you just, you had a, you have that point of reference um, mm-hmm. versus maybe a male, you know, EP. And, and, you know, I'm not talking about anything specific. It's just that I, I do feel like, you know, we were always kind of rooting for the, for the girls, you know, I mean, there's, you know, when you're the woman in a room and you know, there's a young female talent out there who's like incredible, you know, you're rooting for her, you know, you're, yeah. you're talking about like Amy Winehouse when someone first hears a song and you're like, she's incredible. She has like a problem in life, but she's incredible, you know, and um, you champion people like, you know, Gwen Stefani with no doubt, um, who was like, I was such a champion of, um, and then there's people like Madonna who, I mean, look what she did to kind of pave the way. And, and like Rihanna, you know, I remember on a show I did our music and talent person said, Oh, there's this young artist, Rihanna, and she has a song called umbrella. And I was like, oh, really? Like that song is the worst song. (laughs) And of course, she's like, Sally, this song is going to be huge. I'm like, I know, I know. And and then you're like, okay, forget how you think, right? How is the producer going to think? Okay, the song's going to be huge. And of course, Rihanna's umbrella is kind of like what broke her ground. And like, she's, you know, zillions of copies later. So I was wrong, but she was on the show (laughs) and she was great, you know, Um, but, you know, it's kind of cool to, to live through, you know, to look back at a lot of those moments um, and, you know, and moving ahead. It's like, you, you know, you kind of want you, you want the same thing for people. Yeah. You know, give them the outlets to be successful. So one last real question, and then I'm going to see if you want to play the open channel game with me. But uh, what do you want your legacy to be? What's the um, legacy you'd like to leave behind? I was thinking about that when you asked me that question. Well, first of all, I didn't ever think my legacy um, would be centered around some of the pop culture events that have happened. Um, You know, when Britney and Madonna kissed, that was me. (laughs) Um, The Janet Jackson Super Bowl halftime show, that was another thing. And, um, you know, creating a studio in the middle of Times Square, working with MTV and all the partners, that was a big part of me. So like three big things happened like in pop culture and history that I was connected to, you know, and who knows if anybody will ever remember that, but I will. And the people around me will too. Um, But I think the bigger accomplishment is like, you know, being a woman who had a career successfully and still do, but you know, life is different now than it was 10 years ago. I had three children. I lived in Connecticut. I commuted four hours a day on a train. I was always on an airplane. I was rushing back on Friday nights to get to Saturday morning soccer games. Um, You know, we had a nanny to manage here. My husband, who is like incredible, um, you know, just, we just kept the ball rolling. And I think looking back, you know, that was always one of my biggest questions, you know, girls, women, young women coming into my office, shutting the door going like, Oh my God, I want to have a child. And I don't know how I'm actually going to have a kid and have a job. How have you done it? Um, so I'm hoping that like in some small way, I've actually helped quite a few people um, learn how to do it 
So again, that's probably not a masterful legacy, but it's something for me that's been, it's important. Um, well, it's beautiful. It sounds like you've been a mentor to many women, working a lot of people. women. Yeah, um, and everybody or, needs a mentor. I mean, we all do every yeah. at every level. Even even when you're, you know, thirty years into this, you still need a mentor, right? Yeah, sure. You're like, where are my mentors? I need them. <laughs> awesome. Well, so I would like to finish up by playing the open channel game. Are you familiar with this? You've listened to a couple episodes. Um, yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you ready? Sure, why not? All right, so go ahead and close your eyes if you will and take a deep breath and just relax sending your energy down 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 super relaxed just imagining yourself opening and relaxing and unwinding and releasing and releasing and unwinding doing my yoga breath very good and first word entertainment Pop culture. Mm-hmm. Impact. Female leadership. Mm, I like that. Story. So many stories. Stories, stories, stories. Remembering the stories. Remembering the stories is always a challenge, I think. Love. My son Harrison and his his wife were married last Friday. So I'm gonna give the love button to Harrison and Danny. And uh, and I and I think we just need a lot more love in this world, period. So um, yeah, first thing that comes to mind. Entertainment. Breaking out, being a good uh, musician, comedy, uh, 20 plus years MTV, and watching your kids grow up. That's entertainment. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with that. Mm. Artistry. Purist. Um, diversity. And non-judgmental. And finally, producer. Moi. Um, a habit. producer and everything in life you know weddings funerals tv shows thanksgiving dinners beach house just a a skill i guess (laughs) lack of sleep (laughs) never sleep (laughs) 
To learn more about Sally Frattini and her production company, you can visit her on the web at sunsetlaneentertainment.com. In the meantime, if you want to get coaching on the show, please feel free to volunteer to be a part of a live lab. We'll match you with an expert, with a previous host who is an expert in the area that you need help with. It'll be lots of fun. You'll come on the show. So please go visit performersandcreatorslab.com today to fill out a free application to join us here. All of the music that you've been listening to in this show today is via Dan Cantrell, our composer extraordinaire. So I'd like to thank Dan, as well as my creative think tank team, Erica Milligan, Hannah Romanowski, Melanie Myers, Tim Beal, and Dan Cantrell. And I'd also like to thank my producer, Q Fortier. And thank you for listening all of you performers all over the world creating an army of artists on the leading edge. Thank you for listening. My name is Holly Shaw. <laughs> <laughs>